Anybody remember the old Rocky movies? Like, not, not the new ones with the, where they're still trying to hang on, but the classics, like the good ones. The, the old Rocky movies, you go back and watch them, and, and it's amazing the abuse that Rocky took. Right, Clubber Lang and uh, Apollo Creed and Drago and just the, the number of punches that he took, the bruising, the swelling, the eye closed, cut me mick, that whole thing, the, the sweat and the blood and the, the punch across the face where the mouth guard goes that way. And yeah, he just took a beating, just took a beating, one punch right after the other. If you're a leader, if you're in leadership, if you're, if you're leading toward a goal, there are going to be times you're going to feel like Rocky. You're going to feel like the punches just keep coming one right after the other, especially the closer you get to the end of the project. Have you ever noticed that right at the end of a big project, there's all of these things that have to suddenly be done in order to get it finished? You were working at a good pace, you were kind of checking things off, and then right at the end, there's this long list of things. Because of the economic environment and where interest rates are, I know that several in our church are selling homes or buying homes or selling homes and then buying homes, or uh, a number of people are refinancing their mortgage. And when it comes to refinancing or buying or selling a home or property, uh, haven't you found that right when you get to the end, suddenly there's like 15 things that they forgot to tell you about that you have to do now? Like within 24 hours, we got to get another notice from the appraiser and uh, the inspector hasn't sent in their paperwork and you need to come by here and sign these things and we forgot to tell you that this had to be done. There's this mad rush right at the end of a project that can be a little discouraging. A little, little self-defeating. As a matter of fact, you can, you can get into that point and you can think, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's, I know we've done a lot of work, but it's just not, I'm tired of the whole thing. I want it to end. I want it to stop. It's just not worth it. And if you ever get to that point, let me give you two things to think about. Here's two things to think about when you get right to the end and it feels like you have this huge mountain still to climb. Here's the first suggestion. When the stress of finishing the project builds up, remember the reason you started. <clears throat> I go back and think, okay, why did we start down this path in the first place? Why did we think this was a good idea to begin with? Why did we begin this whole process? What were we feeling? What was our emotion? Remember how excited we were and all the plans that we had and all the goals that we had? Just remind yourself, you started this for a reason so stay, stay with it, stick with it. And, and then, if, if that is not enough motivation, go to the other end. Think about what it's going to be like after this is finished. When the stress of finishing a project builds up, remind yourself why this goal will matter once it's completed. If we get over this mountain, if we turn in all of this paperwork, if we do this final stretch of work, this is why it's going to matter. This is how life is going to be better. If we get in that final paperwork that the closing attorney says that we need 
to get in, then we're going to be closer to where the kids go to school, or we're going to be closer to work. We're going to be in the car less time. We're going to have a bigger house. We're going to have a smaller house. We're going to have a bigger yard. We're going to have a smaller yard. Whatever is motivating you, our financial situation is going to be so much better. And yes, it's exhausting, this last little thing that we have to do, but if we'll just push through, if we'll just keep going, these are all the benefits of finishing. Finishing is a big deal. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 6, that's where Nehemiah is. He's almost at the finish line. They've done so much work. He's done so much motivating. He's dealt with so much stress and pressure. He's tired. Everybody's tired. Everybody's worn out. But there's this final push they need to finish and even at the end, the critics show back up. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still hanging around. Nehemiah 6, this is verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ano. But they were scheming to harm me. Before we get into the drama of the critics showing back up, let's talk about this principle. Finishing is hard, but vital. Finishing is hard. It's difficult. It's a challenge. But finishing is vital. Completing the project that you started, getting all the way to and beyond the goal that you started is vital. Starting is great. We need starters, we need self-starters, we need motivated people, but we need finishers. We need people who will see projects all the way through to the end. And I know Nehemiah is just kind of giving us the information, but he starts out at the beginning of chapter 6 and he says, we had rebuilt the wall, but we hadn't put the doors in the gates, right? Which means they weren't finished, right? It wasn't done. He hadn't finished all the way. Have you ever given uh, your kid a, a chore, a job that you knew was probably about a 30-minute job and they came back in two minutes and said, I'm done? What did you know immediately? Oh, they're not done. Exactly. They're not done. And so you go to inspect this job and you look in the room and yeah, this little part is done, all of this not done. Uh, you go look at the yard. Uh, I see where they started, still not done. It, 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 when my kids were younger, we have one of those moments, and, and I would say something like, well, what about the pile of clothes that's in the corner that, that hasn't moved? And they would say, well, I'm done except for that part, which means... They're not done, right? I'm done except for that part. If I'm done is followed by except for, then you're not done. If I'm done is followed by I plan to do that later, you're not done. If I'm done is followed by but, you're not done. We need people who will finish all the way. No except, not I'm going to get to it later, I'm going to finish. That's where Nehemiah is. He's finished except for this one part. 
And now he's got to push through. And, and, and as he's pushing through the, the physical fatigue of the rebuilding project, the critics show back up. Right? One, one positive, maybe, we can say about the critics is that the critics are persistent. Right? They don't give up. Right? They, they're there all the way to the end. They're persistent. They don't quit. They don't give up. They keep showing up. Now, they've changed their tactic in Nehemiah chapter 6. They're not sarcastic in Nehemiah chapter 6. They're, they're not belittling the people. They're not belittling the job. They're not taking little jabs. They're not insulting people. They've completely changed their tactic. Now their new tactic is, come, let us meet together in one of the villages. I just want to talk. Can we grab coffee sometime? Do you have time for lunch? I got a few questions I want to run by you. Right? And sometimes coffee's great. I like coffees. I like lunches. I like questions. But Nehemiah knew there was more behind this request than, hey, can we grab coffee? Hey, can we meet in one of the villages and just have a discussion? Nehemiah knows their intent is to harm him. If they can lure him away from the city, if they can lure him outside of the walls, away from Jerusalem, they can make sure he never goes back to Jerusalem. Or at a minimum, they can make sure he learns his lesson and calls this whole thing off. Nehemiah knows. This innocent-sounding invitation, hey, let's just meet in one of the villages. He knows there's more to it. Now, now like I said two weeks ago, there are times when we need to evaluate healthy, positive critique. Like there are times we need to assess, okay, is this right? Is this true? Maybe I need to make some adjustments. Maybe I could learn some things. There are times that we benefit from healthy conversation and critique. There are times we should give healthy critique. There are times we should give healthy, beneficial comments. That's just not the situation here in Nehemiah. Their goal is not to help. Their goal is not to be constructive. Their goal is to discourage and distract and tear down and end the project. Here's what you have to know. There are some people who don't want to help you. They want to hurt you. Some people. Not everybody. But there are some people. Their motivation is not to help you or make you better or help you see your blind spots. There are some people, their whole objective is to harm you. That's what Nehemiah is dealing with. That's the type of critic that Nehemiah is facing. And let's be honest, you can't always tell the difference right away. You can't always tell the difference between a helpful critic and a harmful critic. But once you realize it, you need never forget it. Well, once you've realized this person is really not trying to help me, you need to remember that. What's, what's the, the saying? When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they've already shown who they are. They're not helpers. They're looking to do harm. They're looking to discourage. They're looking to distract. So there's no reason to listen to that sort of critic. Here's, here's how Nehemiah responds in verse 3. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? 
four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Critics are persistent. Four times they say, come on, let's talk. And four times Nehemiah says, God has given me something great to work on, and I'm not going to leave what God has called me to just so I can have a conversation with you. Listen, clarity on what God has called you to do prevents you from getting distracted by the critics. Clarity on what God has called you to do. The wall that God has called you to build. This is what God has burdened my heart with. This is the mission that God has given me. This is the goal that God has told me to accomplish. I'm not going to leave this goal and entertain conversations with critics every day because every time I leave the wall, that's time away from doing the work God's called me to do. Every time I have a coffee, have lunch with somebody who's not trying to help me, they're just trying to harm me, that's time I didn't spend doing what God has called me to do. Nehemiah said, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not going to waste the time that I could be spending on God's calling to entertain your criticism. He refused to leave the work. Now, here's what I can guarantee you about critics. One meeting is never enough for a critic. I think this is one of the reasons Nehemiah wouldn't leave the wall. Because he knew, yeah, I can go, I can go have a two-hour conversation. They're going to come back tomorrow with a different question and a different criticism. And I can answer that criticism. And they're going to come back the next day. And they're going to have a different criticism and a different question. There comes a point, Nehemiah shows us, there comes a point where Nehemiah's like, a meeting with you is not going to solve anything. You're not going to change your mind. You're not going to see things any differently. You've already decided how you view me. You've already decided how you view this project. You've already decided what your intent is. It is a waste of my time to have a conversation with you. Have you noticed that people love to argue? People have opinions all the time. People always want to prove that they're right and you're wrong. People love to have arguments. Here's here's what we have to remember. You don't have to explain yourself to everybody. You don't have to explain yourself to everybody. You don't have to have the long, drawn-out conversation with everybody about what, what God has called you to do. The path that God has put you on. The goals that God has given you. The direction that God wants you to go. You don't have to explain that to everybody. Because some people are never going to receive it. Some people are never going to hear it. You don't have to keep explaining yourself. Nehemiah finally said, "Like I'm not coming off the wall to talk to you. Because it's not going to do any good. I'm going to keep working and doing what God has called me to do. Interesting place in Proverbs. Um, it, it, it's kind of a... A funny moment to me, and probably may not be funny at all to you, but Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Right, which sounds contradictory. First command, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly. So which is it? Well, it's both probably depending on 
the circumstances. Here's one of the ways I would explain these two verses. The first statement is an order of priority, I think, because it comes first. That means that our default position when it comes to critics and conflict, our default position is we just don't engage arguments with people who are acting foolishly. We just in general, we don't step into arguments that we don't have to step into. We don't try to straighten people out that we don't have any responsibility to straighten out. Don't answer a fool according to his father. Don't engage that sort of conversation. Because if you do, the proverb writer says, you yourself could become like them. You could look like just as big of an idiot as that person looks like if you start to engage them. And come on, we've seen this, right? You've seen it at work, in meetings. You've definitely seen it online. When somebody posts something outrageous online, on social media, and then somebody steps in to try to correct them, and then there's about 20 back and forths between them, and by the end, they both look crazy, right? Like everybody thinks they're both idiots. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, because you'll become just like them. Second verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. In other other words, there are times when the arrogance of a foolish person, and perhaps the influence of an arrogant person is beginning to spread. People are starting to get taken in by their foolishness. There may come a time when you have to speak up. There may come a time when you have to address that. But the default position is, I just don't jump into arguments I don't have to jump into. That's Nehemiah's response. I don't have to get into that art. I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't have to try to fix you. God's called me to do this. And I'm not going to step away from God's calling to try to straighten you out because you can't be straightened out. Verse 5. Then... The fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Nehemiah wouldn't respond to the first four invitations, so they dial up the heat. They create this story that causes people to be suspicious of Nehemiah's motives. You're really trying to take over. You're trying to set yourself up as the king, and people are starting to follow you, and that's going to get back to the king of Persia. They send these attacks in what my translation calls an unsealed letter. Some translations say a public letter. A public letter in Nehemiah's day was a letter that anybody could read. It's like a public document. Anybody who wanted to read it could read it. So they're bringing it from wherever they are to where Nehemiah is, and they're showing everybody. Like, look, look what's happening. 
This is what we think is going on. Everybody's beginning to read. It's beginning to spread. It's a public letter, right? They're subtweeting about Nehemiah. They're posting a scathing review on Yelp. So everybody can see one star on Google Review. So everybody knows how terrible this is. Thing is this person is they're making a post on Facebook and they're switching it to public so everybody can share it and everybody can see it everybody's gonna know this is the sort of letter they're sending back everybody's gonna hear about this everybody's gonna know about this everyone is going to begin to question you Nehemiah they even start by saying it is reported among the nations which I think is their way of saying you know a lot of people are saying this a lot of people are talking about this. And then they follow that with, and Geshem says it's true. Well, of course, Geshem says it's true. He's been on your side the whole time, right, you big idiot. We all know that Geshem's on your side. You ever deal with people like that? They lodge their complaint or their suspicion about you, and they say, well, so-and-so agrees with me. And you think, well, of course, so-and-so agrees with you. You've been best friends since middle school, right? You still act like middle schoolers most of the time. I, I'm not shocked that that person agrees with you. This is their tactic. Geshem thinks it's true, too. Other people are talking. So-and-so agrees. So they accuse Nehemiah of wanting to take over. And they threaten this getting back to the king in Persia. What they don't know is that Nehemiah and the king of Persia are on good terms. Like, they're friends. However, at the same time, there is the possibility that he could begin to question what Nehemiah is doing. I mean, if this got far enough, it could create real problems for Nehemiah. What do you do when there's this public accusation that is spreading getting to different people about you and your motives and what you did and who you are, how do you even begin to track that down? And what I want to say and what Nehemiah seems to demonstrate is you probably can't track that down. Let me make a statement. I don't know who this is for. Maybe it's just for me because of my own experiences in life. But here's what I know to be true. You can't always save people from believing the lies that your critics tell about you. Okay, think about it. You can't always rescue people from the lies that your critics are saying about you. Whenever you find out that someone's lying about you or exaggerating about you or questioning your motives or they've sort of created this false story about you over here... The natural reaction for most of us is to defend ourselves, right? To say, no, that's not true. And, and then we want to find who heard that, who's been told, who's listened to them. And we want to have coffee with them, right? We want to go to lunch with them and say, hey, let me tell you my side of the story. This is what really happened. They're, they're stretching the truth. What they're saying isn't true. And, and sometimes we can do that. Right? Sometimes we can sit with people and say, hey, here's my side. This is what really happened. I, I just want to say that to you. But public accusations, you can't always get to everybody who believed it. You can't always, you can't always get to everyone who heard it. 
And there are going to be people who believe that thing about you, whatever was said. There are going to be people who put you in that category or become suspicious of you. There are people who are going to believe those things. And I hate to tell you, you're not always going to be able to rescue people from believing things that aren't true about you. Just not. People are going to accuse you. People are going to decide things about you. And, 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 and then there are going to be people who say, well, I'm sure there are two sides. I'm sure everybody was at fault. Like, I just love that type of person, right? Like, everybody's bad in this scenario. Maybe, maybe not. The temptation is to want to get my arms around those people and say, no, I'm really not that person. No, I, I really didn't. You, you don't always get that opportunity. Nehemiah knows that. And Nehemiah gives what I think is his best response of the whole story. Like if I were giving a trophy for first place responses, this is when I hand it out to Nehemiah. This is verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Isn't that the perfect response? Like, you're lying. Like that whole thing you just said, the whole thing you wrote in the letter, one big lie. I'm not even going to address it. I'm not going to get into finer points. I'm not going to try to track people down. You're lying. I can't help it if there are people who believe your lies, but you're lying. You made the whole thing up out of your head. And as, as great as that response is, Nehemiah also knows what the motivation is. This is verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking, their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Nehemiah is not saying that this doesn't matter. That's not what he was saying. I don't even think Nehemiah is saying that it didn't impact him. When people mischaracterize us, it does, it hurts, right? It is personal. He's not saying, you're lying, I don't care. He's saying, you're making all of this stuff up, and I know why. You're trying to hurt what God is doing. You're trying to stop what's happening. What makes it even more difficult, we don't have time to go through uh, all of the verses this morning. The critics from the outside are not nearly as discouraging as the critics from the inside. If you read verses 10 through 13, verses 17 through 19, what you find is there were people inside Jerusalem. Some of them were prophets. Some of them were religious leaders who were working with Nehemiah's enemies on the outside. They were feeding them information. They were getting information back. from. They were attempting to set Nehemiah up so that he would be discredited in verses 10 through 13. We want to try to make a fool of him. We want everybody to lose confidence in him. So not only were there attacks from the outside, but there were people really close to Nehemiah that were working against him. How discouraging is that? If you are following God, if you are obeying God, if you have said, God, I'm going to build this wall. God, I'm going to commit to this ministry. I'm going to commit to this mission. I see this vision for my future. I am going to go in this direction. If you do that, you will have critics. You just will. And some of them will be far away. 
Some of them would be people you don't even know. Like the lies got out to them and the mischaracteristics, mischaracterization and the exaggeration got out. People you don't even know walk around with thinking this thing about you. And that's one thing. But there will also be people who become critics who are really close. And that hurts. That's discouraging. What, what do you do when you're not, you're not just tired from the work? But you're tired from the constant questioning. You're tired from the constant assumptions about who you are. The constant suspicions. Here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah prayed. He prayed. Now that's not the first time we wrote that down in our notes in this study. All throughout the book. As a matter of fact, a good thing to do when we get finished is go back, read the whole thing, and just make a note of every time it says Nehemiah prayed, because you'll find it all throughout the book. Nehemiah prayed, Nehemiah prayed. And sometimes we're told what he prayed, and sometimes we're just told he prayed really fast, or Nehemiah then prayed. All throughout the book, Nehemiah's constantly praying. Nehemiah knows that there's a spiritual level to this work that he's doing. There's a spiritual level to the fatigue that he feels, the discouragement that he feels. And so he prays. This, this is his prayer at the end of verse 9. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I know what the critics are doing. I know what the enemy is doing. They're trying to make us weak. Right? They're trying to discourage us. They're trying to stop us. God, don't let them win. Keep me strong. Keep us strong. Keep us Focus. Keep us working. Now strengthen my hands. Throughout this entire process, the whole book, Nehemiah's praying, 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 praying. In Nehemiah uh, verse 14, he prays specifically about his critics. God, don't let them win. God, don't let me give in to them. Don't let me get discouraged because of them. Strengthen my hands. So, so the question is, what is prayer have to do with building a wall? And the answer is everything. Everything. Whatever God has called you to, whatever God has pointed you towards, whatever the goal is that God has given you for your life, prayer is essential because you will get tired. And you will get discouraged. And you will hear voices of negativity. And you will be worn out emotionally. And you will be discouraged spiritually. So pray. Nehemiah prayed. God help me. God help me keep moving forward. Help me stay strong. Nehemiah prayed. The last thing. Nehemiah let the work speak for itself. Nehemiah prayed, and then Nehemiah let the work speak for itself. The critics were loud. They were discouraging. They wanted to stop what God was doing. They wanted to distract the people and the leaders, but Nehemiah wouldn't stop. He wouldn't quit. He wouldn't come off the wall. So that in verse 15, he is able to say, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. In, in the middle of all this discouragement, in the middle of all this distraction, there is a moment when Nehemiah steps back and says, there it is. 
There it is. It happened. God did it. No matter how much you criticized us, no matter how much you tried to discourage, look, there it is. There is the proof that God's been at work. There is the proof that God has been moving. There it is. Look at it. He goes on in, in verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. There was a moment there was nothing left to say. There was no more criticism to be lobbed because there it is. It happened and God did it. When, when people question your faith, your commitment to a God that you can't see and you don't audibly hear, people wonder how you could be that person. Just let the work speak for itself. Let your life Speak for itself, not in an arrogant, prideful, I'm better than you sort of way, but in a faithful, I'm going to keep walking with God. There, this is what I have to show for my life. Let the work speak for itself. When people question the boundaries you put around your marriage or, or the way you honor your spouse or, 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 or the way that you protect your relationship to your spouse and, and they think, Look, this is, this is 2021. Just let the marriage speak for itself. There it is. This is what we are committed to. When people question your parenting. What you pour into your kids. The, the principles that guide your family. The the boundaries that you draw for your kids. I said, what is this? Leave it to Beaver? Right? Just let your family speak for itself. Let the work speak for itself. When people look at your life and, the, and they don't know why you give time to serve others or why you generously give financially to people who are in need or to nonprofits or to churches or to eternal cause. They don't understand why you give the way that you give. Just let your generosity speak for itself. Let what God is doing in you, through you, what God is building in your life, just let it speak for itself. Don't come off the wall and argue with everybody about it. Don't come off the wall and try to prove why you live the way you live. Just let your life speak for itself. Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah says, there it is. This is what God's been doing. And it's strong. And it's safe. And it's going to last. There it is. God, give us, give us moments not, not out of pride and arrogance or anything that has to do with exalting ourselves, 
But give us moments where we step back in our life and say, there it is. The commitment was worth it. The sacrifice was worth it. Living according to biblical standards was worth it. There it is. Keep us on the wall. Help us to resist that urge to come down from the work and keep arguing with people who are never going to agree with us. Just let our life speak for itself. Let our work speak for itself. Let what you're accomplishing through us speak for itself. I pray for those that are discouraged right now. I pray for those that are they're, they're close to quitting before they've finished. They're close to giving up before it's been completed. Strengthen their hands. Strengthen their hearts. Strengthen their resolve to build what you have given them to build. And one day, They'll step back and they'll see it. They'll say, there it is. Look what God did for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.